It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the Hive Jive. There's nothing like right before you hit record saying something that almost makes you snort your tea. I, had, I was drinking the tea and basically almost went through my nose. Thanks a lot. It was, it was either going to be a, an inhalation or a spitting it everywhere. But yeah, I, I, I held it together, but barely. You did. You did really well. Right as I was like, I said it and then I hit record. <laughs> You always do that to me. I like, you know, I like, I've said it before. I like these genuine, (laughs) I'm not setting you up for failure. If anything, I'm setting people up for laughs or for genuine responses. There you go. Um, Well, if they only know, so we have a lot of fun in front of the camera, but I think we have even more fun off. Offline. Yeah, the the stuff that happens before and after we hit record is always <laughs> the more more entertaining, which is why half right. the time these start and we're laughing or there's like you're obviously missing out on some inside joke or something because that's yep. just how it goes. <laughs> well, we got a good one today too. <laughs> we we did we did. So, hello everybody, welcome to 2023. Hello, how weird is that? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Happy New Year. May it bring you health. Um, peace and prosperity and lots of bees. Yes. Yes. Um, I need that latter part. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the segue into the theme for today. That, that's a, that's a very quick segue into it, but you know, <laughs> the never ending story and drama of, of me and my bees, um, ever since I have moved now, when I was down in Texas, I had literally like no shortage of bees mainly because I was doing removals, but then I was also out at the farm. I was catching swarms. I had, you know, swarm traps out there. If a hive ever did go empty, it wasn't empty long. Another swarm would move in. Like it was good. I was, I was in an abundance of bees. Right. (laughs) Then I sold everything and then I moved and I had one and then I had none. And then I got two and then the bear came along and I was back (laughs) down to one And now, um, so here's, here's the, the, we'll just, we'll skip to the punchline and then I'll go back. Uh, the top bar hive that the bear did attack that we attempted to save did not survive this Arctic blast that was at the, uh, the end of December and yeah, the little polar vortex came down. So I, you know, it's very close polar vortex, brown bear, polar bear vortex. (laughs) It was a polar bear vortex. (laughs) Get away. I'm somewhere, somehow I can fit that all together. But so the other day uh, we had, you know, this, these horrifically cold temperatures and then out of nowhere, because mother nature just likes to screw with people, it jumped up into the sixties. And then all of a sudden it was 70 and I'm like, whoa. So I'm looking down at the hive and my thought was, I'm going to walk down there and check and just make sure that their entrance isn't clogged. And when I got down there, or well, I got partway down there from a distance, I could see bees flying around the hive Mm -hmm. and immediately I was like oh that's not good because those bees were flying around edges and corners and I'm like shoot those bees don't live there or they would know where the entrance is and there's no reason they'd be flying around the other parts of the hive and I was like dang it so I went down and I looked sure enough no activity at the entrance and the bees that were flying around were paying no attention to me whatsoever so 
I had to unscrew this thing because I had like permanently assembled it for winter. I had screwed the top on. And so I went ahead and unscrewed it. Really hard, by the way. You did did. everything you could. I did. I'm not crying. I got an eyelash, I swear. (laughs) That's what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) It's gonna make me cry if it stays in there. Um (laughs) all right. Well, I can't see, but whatever. Um so I I go down there and I realize that this hive is is no longer there. And I'm like, dang it. So here's the backstory. Obviously, you know, that is the one that was attacked by the bear. Mm-hmm. And we had this discussion about whether or not to try and <laughs> save them or if we were going to. Yeah, that wasn't on mute. <laughs> the other way around. Sorry. That's all right. It's all good. It's only fair. <laughs> Okay, we're a mess, guys. Uh, I'm nah. hot right now. <laughs> just hot flashes. Uh, I could blame that on other things, but I'm having them too, so uh, we'll just go with it. Um, all right, so the discussion was whether or not we go through and actually try to save them or if we go ahead and combine them with the other remaining Langstroth colony. And I did decide to try to save them. I was going to give them one last ditch effort. There looked like there were plenty of foragers. So I took a couple of frames of eggs and larva from the other hive, donated them over to the bees that were left from this devastation from the bear, put them in there. And 20 plus odd days later, I had a queen and I had brand new eggs and I was like, okay, you guys did it. You raised a new queen. I still think like there was tons of foragers outside the population in there. I had some capped brood that was hatching. So then it was, they need insulation. And Mm -hmm. that was when we turned around and I talked about it for several weeks before I finally got around to doing it. Yay. Procrastination. Um, (laughs) I put them into a two by, so two inches thick lumber, inside you know built this nuke box permanent attachment to the end of the top bar and that's where they were going to overwinter was inside this nuke box Mm -hmm. so it's two inches thick i did the bottom of it the top of it and all four sides of it are two inches thick so there should have been plenty of insulation there the problem though was that there wasn't enough bees despite having enough insulation and i know this for the simple fact that one it's way thicker than any traditional hive would be. And yet they still froze to death and they didn't starve to death. They froze to death because when I went in to do this inspection, the cluster of bees was still in a cluster on the frame and not, but just a few cells away was food stores. So it wasn't that they couldn't move to an, you know, adjacent frame or move somewhere else to get their food. It was right there beside them and it was so cold they couldn't move. And the the outer shells of the cluster were basically just freezing and dying and freezing and dying. So it was getting smaller and smaller. And all the bees that had made it through the first couple of iterations or didn't make it, I should say, were in a pile on the bottom directly below that frame. And everybody else was still attached to the frame, frozen in place and dead. So wah, wah, wah. Um, There went that. You tried so hard. (laughs) I did. Um, but yeah, to your point, once the population goes down too much with those Arctic, it's not necessarily the cold that usually kills the bees, but a combination of cold and uh, low population will do it. Yep. Usually and that's, it's the exposure. That's right? my thing is if if the population, I was guessing, and this is a just a guess from the amount of bees I scooped out of there, maybe two to 3,000 bees. 
Maybe. So maybe like a grapefruit or maybe an orange. Mm, yeah, large that's grapefruit. That's actually not that bad. It, that's what I thought. That was why I was like, I'm going to leave you be. I'm going to let you be. It's going to be okay. But clearly it was not okay. Um, so, you know, you're you're talking 3,000 bees is roughly the amount of bees in a package whenever it first arrives before everybody dies off. That's a, yeah. You know, so that it's not bad. it's not a huge amount of bees, but I have successfully overwintered way smaller colonies than that and stuff that was not that insulated but i did it in texas (laughs) yes well i'm i'm wondering because i did see a few of those but they were smaller um and i think that maybe there was a combination of moisture with cold or something like that that didn't maybe it was a drier cold because i'm kind of confused because when we lost these in the snowmageddon it was a lot of snow and uh, it got really cold for longer periods of times. And we didn't really lose that many. We lost a few this this cold snap. And I don't know if it was because the the moisture content was different, but it was pretty brutal. And it went down to like one degree Fahrenheit. Yeah, here. yeah, it was it was frigid. Like we were having zero to negative degree days for our highs yeah. up here and wind chills around negative 30 to negative 40. It was freaking horrible <laughs> yes and and in this neck of uh the woods that those are tropical somewhat bees right so they're not really used to that either yeah um i don't know where what's the weather usually over there where you are now in oklahoma you're i'm you're so not in oklahoma i would <laughs> never <laughs> i started off so originally I was born in the southwest corner of Kansas and raised between there and the panhandle of Oklahoma. So I am very familiar with both of those places. Uh, you could not pay me enough to ever live there again. That's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. <laughs> she said a bad word. Yes. No offense. No offense to our listeners. No offense, Mike. Oh. No offense to some of these other people that do live in Oklahoma. Right. But but to you. <laughs> the you southwest know. corner sucks. <laughs> well, it would be the northwest corner for the panhandle of Oklahoma and the southwest corner for Kansas. It is flat. It is dry. It is barren. There are no trees. There are no water. You can see for 50 plus miles because there's nothing to block oh. your view. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's tough. It sucks. Yeah. So anyhow, trees. Yes. Hills. Yes. Water sources. Yes. These are things I must have. <laughs> for, I mean, if you have to have bees, that's what you need. You can't. Oh, this is just me. Screw the bees. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> that's why austin was was like so great because you have hills you're right at the foot of the hill country but you've got all these beautiful trees granted there's a shitload of cedar out there right. um but you've got all these natural springs and waterways and stuff and that's what i've got up here in the ozarks now is a bunch of natural springs waterways a whole different set of trees that are beautiful yes. they change colors uh, i've got pine trees that are green all year round so you know it's it's really kind of cool but anyhow back to the yeah. bees or rather yeah, the lack thereof <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sorry. So that leaves you with one. I right? am back to one colony. Yeah. So we are now a year and a day from where this whole thing started. <laughs> we are back to OB1 colony. OB1, that's All right. of our hope lies on you. <laughs> and the winter's not over, so hopefully they'll make it. Yeah, I know, right? So I went down there and I was, I was very paranoid because I went down there to make sure that the little... Uh, cups on the defiant stand still had oil in them and because that was what started my problems with the langstroth last year was the ants Mm -hmm. and then the ants caused the stress and everything and then the freeze hit and then like yeah so i was like all right 
we're going to go down there. We're going to make sure. So I get down there and I do see dead bodies out in front of the hive, which I expect because as they die off, you know, when it's warm enough, they should drag them out the front door and throw them out. That's a good sign. That's, you know, hygienic behavior going on inside the colony. It means the colony is still alive and and able to keep their space clean. So I saw that and I was like, okay. And of course there were the bees that were over trying to rob the other colony. So I'm like, surely this is where they're coming from. And I sit there and I watch and I watch and I watch. Nobody comes out. Nobody goes in. Now, granted, by the time I made it to that colony after doing the top bar, it was already evening and like the sun was getting low. And temperatures were cooling back down a little bit. And I wasn't planning on opening this one. I just wanted to refill the discs and look. And finally, like, I start getting brave. And I start, like, leaning around the front and bending down. Because I've got this stupid, thick, two-inch foam core around it. Oh, yes. That's right. You you wrap them up with that. I wrap that sucker like it is as insulated as it can get. Minus, the only thing I didn't ever get done was putting the Reflectex up on top of the inner cover. I never made it that far. Um, but I've got the two inch all the way around everything else of the insulating pink foam board. So I lean around the front and I have to bend down to where my head is like literally right in front of the entrance and I'm looking and I can very faintly hear like this, the faintest little hum from inside there. And I'm like, okay, I think everything's fine. And I don't see anybody blocking the entrance. There's no dead bodies there by the entrance or anything. And I'm like, okay, okay, I think we're good. And then I'm like, well, but maybe, and then I was like, I could blow in there. That would get their attention, but then they're going to come out and sting me in the face of the eye. So let's not do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't have a suit or anything. So, so then I go and I turn on the flashlight on my phone and I put my head back down there and I shine it up real quick and I can see one bee just on the inside of it, fanning circulating air. And immediately a guard bee comes marching up to the front. I'm like, okay, (laughs) and I moved the phone, turned the light off. (laughs) It's like, all right, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) When they're all decided like that. What what I like the most is when they just fly out directly and just kind of like put their butts out and they get you. Right yeah, there. just immediate. That's what I was trying to avoid was the immediate butt first. Yes. <laughs> Sting first, ask questions later. <laughs> I just wanted to peek. I just wanted some right. sort of response that was not aggressive. Right, right. <laughs> no deadly kamikaze responses. I just wanted the like, are y'all live? <laughs> yes. No. Um, so. That one is still okay at the moment, but again, we're at the very beginning of January and yes. winter for you. Yeah. Yo, woo-hoo, you only got like a month left. <laughs> well, there's still a gold snap in, but it's been like 65 plus 76, 78. I know. But again, that's the, that's a spoiled folk. When we live down in central Texas, we are very spoiled because yeah. winter starts sometimes in late December, really probably not till January and it's over by February and you're into spring at the end of February or beginning of March for certain up here. (laughs) No, it's like May. (laughs) Like winter is hardcore January, February, March, sometimes April. May is the first month where if you're going to plant things, you can successfully and safely do it without worrying about another freeze coming through and killing them. So I've got a long haul is the whole point of this. I have a long ways to go for this one colony to make it. Yeah. And and you don't have any food coming in before then. So hopefully they have enough stores to get through. They did have prior. They had an entire medium box solid capped. So they should be good because that's not counting the solid cap deep frames in the deep box that that's, you know, 40 ish pounds of honey in the top box alone. So they, they should be fine, but yeah, 
<laughs> well, and, I mean, when it's cold, they do go through some food, but not as much as when they're breaking cluster and, and true. are active. Now, minus this weekend, where I just said it did get up into the 70s, that's what screws things up. If it would get cold and then stay consistently cold, now, I don't want it to stay consistently zero, but it could mm -hmm. stay consistently 40, and right. the bees would maintain a nice homeostasis. <laughs> they wouldn't be breaking and doing weird stuff. Um, but unfortunately, it, it it could really yo-yo back and forth like this for the rest of the so, winter. So, yeah, I mean, the uh, energetic demand is highest when they get into cluster and break the cluster. Um, but also, I think personally that the clustering mechanism is not really necessarily something they do a lot of when they're in the tree cavity that's not kind of very thick walls. It's more of a response to stress. It is. Uh, it's actually... The clustering behavior that we think of and know of is because of our shitty hives. That's right. When we started building these three quarter inch thick Langstroth colonies, it didn't have the proper insulation. Therefore, the bees had to adapt to this and come up with ways to stay right. warm, which in the natural world in a tree cavity that's three plus inches thick, they rarely would have to cluster so tight that they couldn't break cluster and move around but they're still not foraging and flying. And that's where your, your two big energy expenses are going to be if they try to raise brood. That's right. the biggest one. Yeah. And the next one is when they're actually actively flying. Because if they're flying looking for food and there's no food out there, they're expending energy and they're not bringing anything back to replace it. So Right, exactly. I mean, this, that's kind of why we, when we teach our students about nutrition and, and emergency feeding, we tell them to avoid those pollen supplements in the winter because you don't want them to brood up. Yeah, And we've talked about it before with the whole brooding up, starvation, because you're trying to feed those mouths and stay warm, um, potential for uh, premature swarming. There's all kinds of issues that can come out of that uh, if you do it in the winter, especially. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things that if for any reason you ever do start, you can't stop because- yeah. It only with takes a week syrup. with the syrup, right? Well, actually, with with either, if you think about it, because if you're if you are raising brood, there's got to be they need the protein. So right. they're either going to eat the now. A lot of the colonies honestly have enough freaking protein in there because they've got right. all these bee bread stores and everything. But they need the protein to start raising the brood. But then they also need that nectar coming in. They need the sugar syrup so that they can go through and create the brood food to go through and feed the bees. Well, if you ever start that process and then you quit, it only takes a week for them suddenly to eat themselves out of house and home. Exactly. That's yeah. the danger of it is, is like, oh, you can't just, I'm just going to throw one in there and call it good. Well, you throw in that one patty, they raise a ton of brood and now they got to feed it and they have to keep the temperature instead of keeping it around 60 inside the colony. Now they got to keep it in the upper nineties. Right. And that's a big difference there for them to generate that much heat to keep the Resources. babies alive. So the adult, adults are eating more food the babies are demanding food and it all goes away. So when the other thing to consider is that when you're giving like a pollen patty, um, because you're not giving the open air, you know, uh, pollen powder out there uh, because they're not really flying. When you're giving the pollen patties, it's mixed with sugar syrup so that it's palatable. Otherwise, they will not eat it. And what you're doing is, um, in effect, you're, <laughs> you're forcing them the protein. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So because that's what they're wanting is the, the carbs. And instead, they're absorbing all of it, including the protein, which is not what they would necessarily have done if they were relying on their own bee bread uh, stores. That's true. 
So in related news, that's not my news to share, but I'm going to share it anyway, because it was shared on Instagram. <laughs> so Gemma, who has been a guest on the show on the main pat, uh, podcast platform, Gemma is also the host of the Homestead Hens and Honey podcast, which she did say she's got some new episodes she's working on. So yay for that. Um, Gemma had a top bar and she only had one. It was the first one that she had ever gotten. And she has had a hard time keeping bees in it alive, especially over winter. Oh, and yeah. this year, again, with this massive freeze that everybody just had, her top bar hive did not make it. Oh. But she did something that was interesting. And I have a few thoughts on it. She decided just out of curiosity to go through and do a mite check on the dead colony because oh. she could actually see mites. So okay. she was like, oh, what the hell? It's already dead anyway. So she washed the bees, right. did a mite check. We're talking hundreds. <gasps> so she hundreds. It, it did collapse from mite overload. Well, here's the deal. She had done know. a mite check before winter in like October-ish. Okay. And they were below threshold for needing to be treated or anything like that. It was it was below that one percentage mark. So there wasn't a concern. So her question initially was, one, am I checking, one, the right places in the top bar, or two, am I getting enough bees for my sample from the top bar? Because she's really worried about breaking the comb. And, you okay. know, getting the bees to dislodge off of that open brood and fall down in there, that's the number one thing. First, it needs to be open brood. It can't be capped brood. Those mites have already gone down in there. You need to get the open brood where the mites are riding around on the nurse bees, waiting for the moment to sneak in right before they cap it. So you take that older open brood, you shake that frame down in there, you're going to get a more accurate mite count than if you tested a frame that had no brood at all. With but, the, that's a, with a live colony you're talking about, right? With a live, yes, with, an, uh, with a live colony. But there's something that I've noticed when... There's no brood present in the colony, period. The mites have nowhere to hide, and they are going to be on the back of your bees. Now, right. the the hotel hives that I had, the couple up on top of the hotel in Austin, one of those colonies like had this drastic swarm themselves to death, overload population, and we couldn't get them to successfully get a requeen in there. And when I went and did that last check, all of the present brood had emerged there was no new brood. There was no eggs, no larva because there was no queen. And you could physically see multiple mites on the back of every single right. bee that you came across. Now, why is that? There were nowhere for the mites to hide. Right. And that's, so, a, that's a typical um, uh, skewing of the results, right? right. You, you think you have, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's um, over the threshold on a regular basis, but what it means is that they have nowhere else to go. Um, and then the the other consideration is when your population is getting lower and and combined with the lack of brood in the hive, but especially when the population is getting smaller, you still have the same number of mites ar running around. So if she is to analyze her bees that are dead right now and her population kind of decreased um, because of the freezing of the outer layer or whatever, she might end up with higher concentrations of mites. As right. well, it doesn't mean that's what killed it. And and I know my, I knee jerked and I say, oh, but that's why she lost her bees, but not necessarily. Right. And that's that was the point that I wanted to, to make there was that if there is no larva, there's nowhere for the mites to hide. And that doesn't mean I mean, it, it literally it doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter if it is a living colony that has no brood, but a high mite load 
or a dead colony that had a high mite load because it's going to be the same scenario. But in a normal colony with brood present that is capped, when you're Mm -hmm. doing that sample, there's a reason that there is a mathematical calculation on how you're supposed to go through and get your percentage. And that's also why the threshold is so ridiculously low when they say 1%, 2%. That's not a lot, but it's because you're only sampling the phoretic mites that are on the back of the nurse bees and you're not getting a true sample of everybody that's under the cappings. If you take the cappings away, you are now no longer looking at a percentage sampling. You're looking at every mite in the colony. Mm -hmm. So yes, you're going to have hundreds of mites because in your sampling of two to 3%, there's hundreds of mites in the colony. You just don't see them because they're under the capping. So I did want to make that point that yeah, they're there. And again, she can't make the determination. She can draw conclusions from it. Um, but it's at the moment, the whole story. right. It's never going to tell the whole story. Exactly. And, and at the moment for her, it's making her question, well, was I ever doing them right to begin with? Was I doing the checks right to begin with? Or is this some fluke anomaly? And then did this fluke anomaly have something to do with the colony dying? Or is it just coincidence that it was the top bar that died? And really, if it would have been one of the Langstroths, would it not have potentially been the same scenario had I chose to do that same type of test? Well, so, and on, on top of that, the, the, the type of hive doesn't have anything to do with the population of mites in your colonies, right? It's mostly the genetics of your queen and how well she was mated. That's going to help, you know, the colony get uh, better at fending off the mites. Uh, if you've got Italian commercial treated bees, you, you probably, if, and if you don't treat, you're probably going to have a lot of mites kind yep. of a thing. Right. So there's all kinds of parameters that come into play. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, even with a high number of mites, sometimes the colonies are just thriving. Some of them are resilient, they're resistant and tolerant, uh, and and that's not impacting them negatively. So there's a lot of considerations. But yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. I had a couple of uh, dead tabar nukes that had a little population and I was uh, picking up bees at the bottom and I was like, I'm going to kind of like really sweep up the bottom and get all the bees and kind of uh, do uh, a sampling. So I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just good to keep that in mind. And then it also back to her thing too. I don't necessarily think that her, when she was talking like, you know, it's not the top bar's fault. It was more that the top bar presents unique challenges for testing and anything else because most of the stuff's designed for a Langstroth. Langstroth has a foundation. It has a frame. You can shake the bees without tearing the comb off. You know, things like that is really kind of one of her bigger concerns. Now, you and I, who do it all the time, yes, it's nothing. Now, now granted, though, I understand because when Mary Reed, at the time, the apiary inspector for or the chief apiary inspector for Texas, when she would come out, she would literally put her hands behind her back. She would not touch any of the top bars. She was like, you do it. I'll watch. Uh, <laughs> she didn't well, want to be responsible for a comb breaking, breaking and falling oh, or, you I know, see. so, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. so I no, can no, understand. I, I definitely get that apprehension for sure. But I mean, there's some, I mean, I would say to a certain extent, I agree with, with what you just said. And I know that's the reaction of people, but as far as sampling, there's to me, not that much difference because the comb in the bird's nest, which is where you're going to find those nurse bees is usually uh, several iterations of cocoons. And it's actually and it's the, be the most solid, stronger, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rubbery. And, and, and then the other thing, you don't have to shake them very hard right you just i see a lot of people going wham and just kind of like those big it doesn't have to be that way the other technique that you can use is taking a your cup 
And uh, with the nurse bees on the comb, you can run it down their backs and they'll do a backflip into your cup. That's the yeah, other way. You can cheat and, and kind of yeah. scoop them off the frame in reverse and stuff too. The So when you go through and you do it, one of the things that I have done, and I've showed it on videos here on Patreon, also I think on social media, but if you get a secondary tub, just a plastic right. Rubbermaid Tupperware tub, preferably with a smooth curved corner and not a sharp angle corner. But if you have a tub or yeah. a bowl, and then you've got your measuring cup that you're going to use to scoop the bees, when you shake them, you shake them down into that bowl or that tub, and then you tilt it up and you immediately tap the tub and they all fall in the corner in a pile. Right. And then you can immediately scoop up a full cup. You're not wait. chasing bees. You're not doing other stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So I don't pick them up right away. You know why? Because I don't You're worried about the queen. I know. Oh, you don't want the foragers. Right. Let so them I let fly those out. fly away and I keep only the nurse bees. And yes, that gives you an opportunity to look for your queen as well. But the nurse bees are not going to fly away. Right. So that's true. I'm looking to keep the ones that are going to be walking around and, craw and crawling around and get, give the other ones time to fly away. So I have actually nurse bees instead of a mix of different uh, casts. I mean, that's a good point. Ages. That is a very good point. Yeah. So on the same subject of winter conundrums and questions this just came in today this is from carly and uh i'm gonna read it here and you and i can discuss it and then okay. um i'll respond back to carly <laughs> okay i was gonna respond good. to her earlier and i was like oh we're recording today i might as well go ahead and keep it um well. so let's see if i can get this somewhere where i can actually see it uh let's see skim past blah 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 um okay her question basically is, is my colony too strong for this time of the year? Ah. That, was, that was the first part. Now, she does mention, she's like, uh, as Natalie may have mentioned, we just had another little Arctic blast down here, which, <laughs> yep, <laughs> got that one covered. Um, so it stayed below freezing where she's at for about 30 hours. Um, they had tossed some insulation out on the hive and they took an old empty frame feeder out of the hive. And then they checked it a few days later, because again, naturally being Texas, it was back up into the seventies and let's see, they checked it again to verify that everything was still good and they still had plenty of food sources. And it looks like it was a success Today, it reached 75 degrees, so I decided to dive in and again assess their food stores. I pulled out frames. Oh, I haven't pulled out frames since November when I was closing them down for the winter. So, uh, let's see. I should really, like, I should have pre-read this. It would have gone way smoother. <laughs> I read it three hours ago. <laughs> All right, so here's here's the scenario. She has two deeps, and the top has some honey but is missing frames. So the top box doesn't have all the frames that it should have. Oh, no. So that's number one. She does not mention the bottom box, whether or not there's food stores in the bottom, just that there is some frames of capped honey in the top, but the top box is missing frames. So that's not all the way across there. And looking at it, it looks like it may have all of the frames over, and then it's got like empty spot, one frame, empty spot. So it's not like completely empty but that one that's out there on its own is kind of like odd <laughs> mm -hmm. okay so my thought was to consolidate them down to one deep but it seems like there's just way too many bees in this colony also 
I didn't expect to have any brood or larva, but I did find it today. Maybe my girls are just crazy. Um, but they had to have started this during the freeze for them to already be into the cap stages, you know, based on the amount of days. So I'm going to send you some pictures. Would love your thoughts on should I consolidate them down and put the stores in the top box for resources or just leave them be? And uh, if I leave the top box, should I add empty frames in to fix the gaps? Again, apologies for the very choppy reading of that. I'm also like trying to look through the microphone down under the computer at my phone. (laughs) It's small text too. So lots of excuses in the new year. (laughs) No, you're good. And do you have the pictures? Do you want to share them for the the ones that are? I don't think I can. Okay. Well, I mean, like I could save them to my phone and I could text them to you. But by the time we did all that, this recording would have to be paused and restarted. <laughs> uh, and I don't have my phone with me, but you can, if you want to email it to me while I'm talking, you could do that. And then I'll look for it and then I can, uh, can probably share them. But um, so my thoughts are you don't necessarily want to. So when you're going into winter and doing your winter preps, a good idea is to um, consolidate and take out any empty space, especially if you have a vertical hive, you want to make sure that you're compressing them down to avoid uh, those gaps between the frames that we were mentioning. <clears throat> so on a warm day, what I would do right now is I would go and pull out the top box and see if they've got honey on both sides of the bottom box. And if there's any space in there where there's an empty frame and they could use some of the resources that are at the top, of course, respecting the integrity of the bird's nest at the center of the the honey, you just want to make sure that you put, excuse me, uh, work a comb where you need it, but you don't want it in the middle of the bird's nest right now, right? They've got an organization that they're relying on to. So if you ever do that, just kind of, you know, it's better to transfer down honey, actually, that if you have at the top, any kind of resources that are honey and you have an empty frame of um, worker brood or drone brood that's empty on the other edges of the bird's nest, you can remove that and replace it by the honey. So you have more of an insulation Uh, on the bottom. Also compressing them is more efficient for the bees. In doubt, compress. So it's true for uh, colonies that are struggling, colonies that are um, in the summer or winter, any kind of signs of diseases, any, when there's too much space, it's really detrimental to the bees. So when in doubt, do compress as much as you can. That will help the bees um, kind of get back on their feet faster and fend off whatever problems they're having. With the the winter, um, they are more able to um, uh, get stuck in between the honey and they've got more mass around them. That's going to help them out. The empty space above them, what it can do is it can create a chimney effect where you can have um, the warm air from the cluster is going to rise up and basically, uh, you know, warm up the honey above them, but also um, any empty space that they have about their head. So it's really uh, counterproductive for them and it can actually hurt them so i would definitely remove that uh, up the deep and kind of see if there's any frames that can be replaced by a honey frame down at the bottom um so she, she mentioned frame feeders as well so um oh well, they had they had uh, taken it out which is i think is the reason oh, okay. why two of the frames are missing oh okay. um, i think before winter they took out the frame feeder because she had when she was prepping everything in November, she had gone through and given them their last bit of liquid feed 
to help bulk them up for the winter. And now that they're going back and inspecting, she took out that feeder okay. and they put insulation in and made sure everything was good, but it did leave two frames missing. Looking okay. at the pictures and counting the frames, it looks like in a 10 frame deep, which is the top box, there's only six frames. Right. So oh, okay. she's missing four. She was missing two where it. the feeder were, and then she was missing two more. So you've got five frames, two missing, one frame, two missing is how that's currently set up. So I agree. Um, I would say that there's there's two scenarios. One, just looking at the pictures that were sent, I would say that there is there is not so many bees in this box that it cannot be reduced. Okay. That's my opinion, just looking at the bees on the top of the bars and then zooming in and looking at bees between the bars. Um, you only have really four bars that are completely covered in bees out of 10. And then it's like some smattering of bees as they climb across the tops and then there's some guarding the seam. So this box is definitely not overloaded with bees. You could definitely condense it down. If that's the choice, then you do exactly like you just said, Natalie, you go through take all of the food frames that you can and put them down into that bottom box. So if there's empty frames in the bottom box, meaning drawn comb that has nothing going on, and especially if it's out on the outer perimeters, take that out, replace it with the solid capped honey frames in there. Now, one caution though, yeah, don't kidding. take away all of their empty comb because right, they need just... that to actually form the cluster. They stick their heads down in there. They vibrate to generate heat. It warms up and everybody piles on top of it. Right. So the center of the cluster, you already have frames in here that have open cells because they have brood in them. <laughs> it's not a big brood patch. You're talking, you know, maybe uh, maybe like we were talking earlier, like half a grapefruit size right. patch of brood in one of these combs. So Make sure that the center of it still has some open and then everything out. So like you could say the four frames in the middle could be open and then the other six frames, three on either side, those can all be capped honey and they would be perfectly fine. Now, right. if this was another scenario or if you're just really paranoid, here's the weird thing that I would suggest. And I only do this sometimes when, again, if it was truly overpopulated and Texas is stupid when it comes to their weather and the bees get confused and you were worried about maybe some of them scoot a lot of genetics, making the bees think they wanted to swarm when right. they shouldn't, which I don't think is the case here. Again, I don't think there's that many bees, but if every one of these frames was solid covered in bees mm -hmm. and the top of it was just a mass of bees and you were They're worried that if you over. condensed them, mm -hmm. that they would end up possibly causing them to want to swarm. Well, what you would do in that case is you take all of those frames that are empty, you put them in one box and you make that box the bottom. And then you right. still, so it's the same concept of, as reducing them, except you're still giving them the space in the bees and the, or the, the space in the comb, but you're putting it up below them so that the cluster is still going to be in the top where all the heat's going to go anyway. The food is still surrounding them exactly like Natalie suggested. But if you just needed that extra peace of mind, your right. void of space is below them, which is better than having it above them. That's now, a great point. That's never. Exactly yeah. The other part of this is never leave empty space. So, and I say that like, you know, we never say never kind of thing, right? But especially in the winter and especially above them, if that box looked the way it did and it was on the bottom, oh, well. Worst case scenario, you forget about it. Spring comes and they draw a comb off the bottom of the other right. frames into the void. But right. if it's above them, the problem up there is if they do move up, 
and then they need to move over. There's nowhere for them to go. And that void is going to be a void of uninsulated cold air instead of the honey wall that helps provide that insulation. So yeah, absolutely. If you're going to keep the other box, add in the frames as needed. But I think in this scenario, you're actually good. Um, I was actually thinking, as you mentioned, like, you know, I, I didn't end up trying to email it to you because I'm looking at it on the app for the business management stuff for, I think she sent this one through Facebook. So I didn't want to try to figure out like downloading, saving, oh, emailing yes. okay. while we were live doing a, a chat. Um, right. But it, it did occur to me that had I thought about it sooner, I could have actually had those either already saved on the computer and I could have shared the screen like you had mentioned, right. or I could have just logged in on the computer right. and showed the message and showed the images there. So future right. reference, me. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, yeah, I, I I do a lot of like airdropping. For my, I do that all the time, basically. So that's kind of why I was thought, thinking that might be an option. But you have an excellent point. If they try to climb up and they've got all that empty space on the sides, that's another issue. Yeah, putting them at the bottom is, a, is you know, is, is a, an insurance for space and it's just um, not as bad. But yeah, no empty space above their heads for no. sure. And, and in this, might, in this, in, I don't in, think they need the extra space at all. No, and I and I would argue that I would remove that top box right now um, yeah. if there's another cold snap coming. Um, but putting it under also, you might prevent swarming, you know, that congestion. If the weather remains, she's in Texas, right? So if the remain the weather remains, you know, really warm in a couple of weeks, they they want to start brooding up. Um, you want to watch it. So there you go. Now you got some answers. There you go. Oh, <laughs> and and, and uh, if you're concerned, put some reflectics on the top. Under I, I actually put it under the inner cover between the it. box and the inner cover. Yeah, that works. The only reason that sometimes I I kind of shy away from that is it depends on like here I have to be cautious of snow covering up the bottom entrance, so I've got to leave a top entrance for those oh. potential issues. So I that that was my whole thing about well. I don't want that entrance to be actually in to the colony. I wanted it to be up into the attic space. But then if I do that, I would have to make a hole in the reflectex for them to be able to get up and then get out. So it was like, and then I didn't end up taking it down there when I was doing all the prep that day anyway. And I was like, well, dang it. Then I left it at the house. So <laughs> all, right. all right. So I've never kept bees in cold weather. So this is only my opinion and not from experience. But my thoughts on that are if it's snowing and then the, the, the colony is in the snow, it's insulating, but also it's still cold and they're not really getting out so much. Um and then the upper entrance, I have a hard time with cross ventilation, basically, and yeah. upper entrances. My my issue with that is that you have the hot air rises, and then it escapes through that uh, open entrance. And to me, that's um, uh, energy um, demanding. And, and so I'm not really comfortable with doing it. Uh, and then the uh, cross ventilation is also um, something that I don't really like, especially in the vertical configuration, um, but or actually any configuration. Um, because it's a little bit harder to keep warm. But again, this is said with the uh, understanding that I've never kept bees in the cold weather and uh, or you know snow weather really. Uh, in a, so I can't really. But to me, um, but whether it's summer or winter, I avoid cross ventilations and um, maybe in the summer a top ventilation is better. A top entrance is better than a bottom entrance. I don't know. All I know is the bees tend to do the opposite and they put their entrances at the bottom anyway. Yeah. Well, so the the thought process with this is 
if your colony is only a foot off the ground and you get two foot of snow, mm-hmm. it's literally buried. Right. Now, that snow may stay for a couple of weeks, but the outside temperature could get up high enough to where they would be able to do relieving flights, but now they can't get out of the colony. They're literally trapped and they can't also drag their dead out, which could then block up the door. So the top entrance gives them a way to be able to get out above the snowfall and then snow drift basically, um, and then still be able to do their relieving flights and things like that. So that was something that I picked up when I was up in Canada. Okay. (laughs) Where they they deal with multiple feet of snow at a time. Right. Right. Yeah. My, 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 my gut was like, if it's warm enough for the snow to, uh, for them to be active, then the snow will melt kind of a thing. But again, I have, this is just a complete, like, this is what my mind is telling me. I have no experience in it. A lot of it also depends on the genetics of your bees too, because if you've got Russian genetics or Carniolan genetics, um, there's another one. There's another one that is escaping me at the moment. Um, they will fly sometimes down into the 35 to 40 degree Fahrenheit range. They will actually be seen foraging for water or leaving and doing like small relieving flights. They're not flying long distances. But then when you've got like some of the Italian genetics or some of the other genetics, especially like the Scutellata genetics, they're not leaving if it's cold. <laughs> they're, right. They want it to be 45 to 50 or right. 50 and above you know, before they really start getting out and doing stuff. So it all also depends on that genetic profile that you've got. That's true. And how big your population is as well, because the more, the bigger the population, the more they can afford. I mean, from what I've seen here in Texas, again, this is all local, right? Um, the, the more they are uh, able to go out for relieving flights and and a little bit of foraging for water and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. So there's that. yeah (laughs) lots of fun things to uh start off the new year um unfortunately we did start it off on a uh one what you know it's like the two steps forward in the fall and then one step back now in the winter but uh fingers crossed it doesn't end up like last year if i can come out of winter with one freaking colony Uh, i will already be a hundred percent increase over last (laughs) year and your success rate that would be awesome that would be a huge victory yeah it would it would because uh you know otherwise we're back to square one i'm going to be praying to catch swarms or looking for somebody to buy bees from (laughs) i have a question yeah so even with one that you could potentially split but you still have all your eggs in one basket are you going to buy more bees or are you going to rely on swarms because the experience that you've had last year was horrendous it was not great so (laughs) if i do decide to buy bees i know where i'm not going and i know where i probably will go um so there's that i can i can reach out and very quickly probably you know secure something early on um so that's a plus but at the same time that top bar being empty is a prime swarm magnet because it actually has on all of the bars there's still a half an inch to an inch of comb ribbed Mm -hmm. All the way across those bars. So it already smells like bees. It already has comb. It's got all the pheromones in it. So when it warms up enough that I can, you know, think that there may be swarm potential, all I got to do is open that sucker up. And and then it's a potential magnet to be able to maybe catch a swarm directly there and not have to mess with it. That would be like, fingers crossed, that'd be best case scenario. I'm still going to put up additional swarm traps in addition to the ones that are currently out there. 
um, try to do some improvements and some other things to them and find some more creative places to put them, but put up some swarm traps, have those out and about. And then and there's also the possibility of buying bees again, because unfortunately, I was really thinking I was going to go into next year with two adult colonies that could make right. me some honey. Right, exactly. And if I have to split that stupid Langstroth, then I'm going to be literally right back where I started this year. So well, I did I mean, think, though, doing, doing possibly, if I do have to split it, doing a shook swarm where I'm just taking the bees, leaving all of the resources, letting those bees populate the new colony, and then letting the other bees already have the resources and then just run with it. And I could potentially, if we had a good nectar flow, still get a honey harvest then from that Langstroth, but right. not necessarily anything else. Well, and that's uh, that's the other thing, right? You can't really all, uh, raise bees at the same time as you're splitting, at the same time as you're getting any kind of um, honey stores built up uh, really solidly. So it's kind of, I mean, you, I, I don't, I'm it's not meaning you cannot, right. but it's harder. It is a challenge very doubtful and buying bees by the way you don't you don't really and there's a lot of junk bees out there you That's don't true. know really what you're getting so the i really like i want to do a lot more swarm trapping this year so to your point with the top bar using that because it smells like home and then i've heard um that you can feed the bees not too far from it of course you have another colony so you you probably want to be careful to not trigger robbing but if you do that what happens the scouts are uh, coming in there investigating and they're looking around and then they find it and then it might be a couple of months before they're ready to swarm but when they are they might remember there's a cavity there that's perfect for what they're doing so food for thoughts and then the swarm traps this year I'm using buckets five gallon buckets so I'm, I'm using all my wax and all my old comb the darker the better and I'm melting it all into a crock pot and I, I take a pen brush and I paint the inside of the bucket with that slum gum yeah. and under the lid as well. And then I'm drilling a hole at the bottom, maybe like a, an inch or two off the bottom of the bucket. And I'm going to put those up um, along with probably a little puck of beeswax that I melted uh, in larger quantity. And when it was cooled off quite a bit, I put, put some lemongrass oil in it and I put them in little ice cube trays. Hey, uh, okay. Right. And so those are my swarm lures. Yeah, so slowly emits the the actual essential oil smell, mimicking that queen fur. Well, the, not the queen pheromone, but the scout pheromone. The mm -hmm. yeah, the chem heather. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, fun Nazanoff pheromone. That's what it mimics. Nazanoff. Right. Um, anyhow, that I think that that is good. And I've asked you this before, and then I'm like, I'm kind of scratching my head on it. When you do the buckets, are you doing the bucket with the lid side up as the top or the lid side down as the bottom? No, as a, you close it. I know, but but which which orientation? Oh, lid side up. Lid, lid side, side up. up. Okay. That's what I do because I want to be able to pull out the lid and have the combs hanging from the lid. And cut straight so from I the lid. So I pull it out and then I can do, I can flip it upside down if it's, you know, solid enough, if I'm gentle enough. And, and I can cut it out and hang it on rescue bars and put yeah. it in my top bar house. It basically becomes a water meter removal. Exactly what it is. <laughs> you yes. gently pick up the lid, flip it over, cut the comb, put it on a bar, put yeah. it back in there. Call it good. <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to, I know that the land that you uh, kind of like transferred over to us, I call it JJ's yard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a few colonies, in, in, especially like there's a big, um, basin and a metallic basin yep. you know a, it's a like, wash basin 
wash basin that's upside down and it's got a large colony in there. It looks pretty large. So I'm gonna use, I, I was thinking about cutting them out during the apprenticeship and kind of demonstrating the techniques like we did last year with the Langstroth that, that got, um, that attracted the swarm, but didn't have any frames except maybe for one or two. So they built off of the lid, right? Mm -hmm. There was no, nothing to, to uh, give them something to, to hang on their combs, but the lid. Well, I'm going to use those as a swarm emitting things. Ah, okay. Having all the, the buckets around instead of basically damaging that colony. Yeah, that colony is actually, gosh, by now, like four years old. Right. Okay. I think so three, it's three to four years old. So it is successfully overwintered multiple right. times. And that also means it is it survived the initial snowmageddon. It did. Yeah. It did. So. So. And you you brought it over there or it swarmed into the wash basin? No, I brought it. It was a removal. Um, ah. One of the ones where I literally just went out there, wrapped it up in a sheet, put it in the truck, drove it out to the farm, set it down, okay. and there it stayed. We'll take care of you later. That's later. exactly right. Because, again, <laughs> when you're doing one a day nonstop, you're like, all right, well, it's the end of the day. I'm dropping you off. And then it's that whole it's part procrastination and part not. It's the whole, okay, so on my next free day, I'm going to get to you and we'll do a removal and put you into a top bar hive. And then that day never comes. Right. No, I'm perfectly <laughs> familiar with that. Now imagine I, I do a lot of professional services with like turnkey contracts where I bring colonies on people's properties. Imagine bringing the big wash basin as counting as <laughs> Right. I'm sorry. Okay. What is all this? Well, that's a wash basin. This is an owl box. <laughs> this is a washing machine. <laughs> this, this is, is a couch. A, that's a trash barrel. <laughs> They're all colonies of bees. Have fun. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so it yeah. would it would keep people guessing because it wouldn't look like a traditional beehive. <laughs> no, it would look like a junkyard. And that it would, would look, look like, like a junkyard. Yes, it very much would. <laughs> um, and the apiary inspector would say no, 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 because none of those Not combs removable. are removable for inspection. <laughs> Well, I don't, I'm not even sure it would count for the county because what, what uh, qualifies you is if you're uh, raising, bee, you're doing beekeeping for the production of, you know, uh, uh, beeswax and honey and, yeah, and bees. The products and of the hive. You can't really do that. Maybe, maybe if you argue that you're catching the swarms and you can, you could say that you're using them for pollination and that would count. It would, but it's still an illegal hive because you can't remove the frames. <laughs> Or the bars, the comb, the comb. I mean, it's a hive. It is in the bees definition. It is a hive. It is. It's just not a manageable hive from a beekeeper definition. Yep. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, all kinds of fun things ahead for the year. Yes. and But I sure hope that you're OB1 colony. OB1 colony. You're our only hope. Well, and let me know how your swamp trapping goes because you're going to get local survivor stock. And, well, and last year, last year they like psyched me out because there were three different swarm boxes that all had a lot of attention. And mm -hmm. I was really certain that they were going to end up moving into the comfort hive. And mm -hmm. I was like, yes, a natural swarm will move in. They'll do what they should do. It'll be great. And then all of a sudden they were all gone. And I was like, oh, oh. quiet before the storm. They're coming back. They never came back. <laughs> they found oh. something somewhere else. <laughs> Who yeah, knows? That. Maybe that somewhere else 
is somewhere out there in the forest. And those were the bees that were over scouting out and trying to scavenge the top bar. I don't know because I don't know where that swarm went, but that was before I ever had bees here. So yeah, because well, them bees didn't show up till freaking like, was it June, <laughs> July? <Right. laughs> and you have a lot of trees over there. So maybe they found a cavity or something that worked out better for them. You know, they may have kind of a thing. Because they yeah. measure the inside, they measure the outside, they they take care, they they look at the uh, rain cover, they look at all kinds of things, right? So maybe they did, but at the very least, you might not know if it's local uh, survivor stock. You know that's something that swarmed, but you know, give them a chance and see what they they can do. Because if right. you're lucky enough to get the survivor stock, then you might have bees that are very adapted to your local cycles of weather and forage, and they might be much more resilient naturally, right? Yeah. And worst case scenario, if they if they stick around long enough to even basically start building out the comb and even potentially raising some brood, then worst case scenario, they're cannon fodder that can be used as the building blocks and building materials for another colony. So that works too. I mean, even even if they're kind of like, Meh, you know, wah wah, you can requeen them, you can let them requeen themselves, you know, you can you can force a little bit of change in there. And still right. be able to use the population and the resources exactly. until the genetics take over and, and get you what you want. So to your point, once you've done this long enough, anything is good to reuse, right? Or to leverage. If you know the biology of the honeybee, you're already well ahead. And then if you have the resources like the drone comb, even your calling that died, you can reuse some of that uh, to bait, to um, uh, get a colony that's, um, you know, brand new ahead, um, maybe some of the food resources, maybe some of the uh, drawn worker comb for a swarm or, or a package even. Um, you can just kind of reuse all that stuff. And, and so the deaths are not really completely a total loss. Not always, unless it unless it's your only colony. <laughs> Unless the but it's still, market. but still though, it's not exactly. Then it's a total loss. I was gonna say unless you still can use the resources from it. But if right. if you screw up and you let everything else eat it, you're done. <laughs> but but even then, it's still a cavity that had bees and it smells like a beehive. It could still be a swarm trap. Right. That is true. Exactly. There's there's a couple of those out there on the farm where they're in the the far back left corner um, of the oh, actual forty acres, and those it. are. Those are like the most amazing swarm traps ever. They yeah. are old, rotten hives that are really well. holding up basically by a hope and a prayer. Right. And every year I would have colonies move into them. And once they'd get in there and get established, I would just take frames and put them in something well, else. And yeah, I would that. stick in old trash frames back into the hive just for like, hey, there's some old wax or there's some, you know, sometimes it was like stuff from wax moths. It was just yes. like the spider web stuff, but you put it back in there, it's got the smell. And then sometimes that same year or the next spring, boom, there's another colony in there. Exactly. It's like amazing. And that's what the, we've got bees in there as well. But but the wax moths are the vultures, the cleaner, cleanup crew of the colonies and the bees need them to do that so that they can start back from scratch and have fresh comb that's uh, more sanitary for them. So I think that there might, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if the wax moth uh, smell or the smell of the comb being destroyed or the feces at the bottom of the, the frass at the bottom of the, um, the hive that was cleaned out was not an attractant to the bees as well. It very well could be. And, and even at the very least, the pheromones permeate the wood. This right. is one of the things that you learn when you're doing bee removals 
and you should educate the homeowners on is that mm -hmm. the pheromones from the bees permeate the wood. And no matter what you coat it with, you can coat it in bleach, right. you can coat it in ammonia. You give it a few months and that bleach and ammonia goes away. And guess what? Fair These oil-based pheromones right. seep back out of the wood and the colony, uh, a colony can still smell that cavity. And if they right. can find a way in there, you're going to wind up with bees back in that exact same place. And if you do the job right and you educate the customer right, the right. cavity should be sealed up correctly. One, cleaned out perfectly. And then two, sealed, sealed. up correctly. And, and then the, yeah. And then the homeowner knows what they should do to prevent it. And then if another colony does move into their property, it might be adjacent or on the other side because they could smell it, but they couldn't get right. to it, but they found the next best thing over on the other side. So right. yeah, and that's, then, that's very true. Um, that, that also goes for, there's the pheromones, but there's also the volatile compounds from the, the propolis. That's part of the sanitary yeah, They've system. coated the walls with that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the entrance is also marked, right? So there's a whole lot of things that indicate, hey, be hotel here. So if you don't fill it with foam and don't shut down the entrances, it's going to be a B hotel again. That's right. If there's a cavity still in there and they can find access, it's game on. <laughs> right. So, I mean, very often when you have people that do removals that are not very experienced, we hear all the time, well, they came in, but the bees came back. And, and yeah. so you have to kind of call them back again. I would say call another remover at that point. Yeah. I sometimes see those posts too, where it's like, this is my third removal from this exact same spot. And I'm like, then you screwed up on the first one. <laughs> on the first two. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there should have never been a two and three if you right, did it right. right. But hey, whatever. <laughs> I guess it's repeat business. <laughs> Job well, security. I mean, it's a swarm trap. <laughs> Tell you what, just put just put a hinging door up here over the hole. Don't even you're not right. you're not gonna bother to fix it. Just let's make it easy on me next time and I'll just open the door, take the bees out and close take it back. Yeah. Call me whenever they come back. <laughs> that reminds me of Jonah and the Azure hives, by yes. the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the doors. Right. So oh gracious. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta go with what you got. Right? That's right. That's, that's all you can do. Make do with what you got. That's Lemons right. the lemonade, people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I hope everybody has enjoyed this first beekeeper chat of 2023. It's still really weird to say that. Um, mm -hmm. A little update, though, for those of you tuning in, depending on like where you're at in the whole process, if you're a new member or whatever, um, back the first episodes of beekeeper chats which started in like september of 2021 Ooh. i think those are going to start disappearing off of patreon one at a time yeah. because they are now going to be starting to be released on the main podcast platform on thursdays so it's going to kind of start cycling through. So if all of a sudden you you log in and you're like, wait a minute, there used to be, you know, 80 of these and now there's only 50. Well, that's why, because the other 30 have been released out on the main platform. So right. it's going to be one at a time every Thursday. It's going to basically kind of be a bonus episode for everybody out there who's not on Patreon that listens on the main platform to get additional content because there's some good stuff in here that everybody should have the opportunity to hear. And the way that it's going to be released they're all a year old. <laughs> so right. if you want the new stuff, you check it out here on Patreon. And if you, if you don't care, then you'll catch it eventually a year later out there on the main platform. But everybody can look forward to that. We've got more beekeeper chats coming along the way. Uh, and uh, until then, I guess we'll, uh, we'll leave it as we always do and say, everybody be good. And don't forget to be mindful. 
Very good, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Until then, bye-bye. Bye, guys. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs>